Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasant realisation that I'm welcome again, rather than um, <laughs> we're not having her back. So, so it's lovely to be here and um, to see some familiar faces um, and some new faces. Um, and so it's great, great to be with you. Let me start by reading a psalm. Answer me when I call, O God, defender of my cause. You set me free when I am hard-pressed. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. You mortals, how long will you dishonour my glory? How long will you worship dumb idols and run after false gods? Know that the Lord does wonders for the faithful. When I call upon the Lord, he will hear me. Tremble then and do not sin. Speak to your heart in silence upon your bed. Offer the appointed sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Many are saying, oh, that we might see better times. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when grain and wine and oil increase. I lie down in peace. For you, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's stand to sing our first hymn. about coming to visit other churches is when I hear of your traditions that you've created and I was told that after I pray we're going to share in the Lord's Prayer but to say it in your own tongue and I'm actually quite looking forward to being part of that. So let me pray for us. Heavenly God, as we come to our space of worship, we come with all that we are. Nothing is hidden from you. 
You accept us in our sorrow, in our shame and our pain. You accept us in our joy and love and excitement. As we gather together, as we approach your word, we seek to give you glory. As we gather together, we do so knowing your arms are our safe haven and you take away our shame. Thank you, Father God, for all that you do. Jesus Christ, for the sacrifice you made and Holy Spirit, for connecting us and keeping us one with you. Our Father, who art in heaven, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory to ask you all a question or ask yourself the question who am I in a crisis who am I in a crisis who do I turn to when I face the unknown you might turn to a parent or a friend or a loved one or a relative I recently watched this speech given by a very famous actress and um, 
she said, why, why is it in all the movies there's a point in the film where the woman has to say, what do we do now? She went on to talk about how unrealistic that was because actually in her circumstance or her experience, when something happens, the woman doesn't usually ask, what do we do now? The woman will usually come up with a plan. And I'm not going to go off on a woman tangent, don't worry. <laughs> we've recently celebrated Easter. We've learned about the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And shortly as adults, we're going to look at the first time Jesus met with his disciples after the resurrection. But when the disciples first met him, they were frightened. It felt like they had gone through a major crisis. They didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to do next. So they gathered together and said, what do we do now? And I could go off and say about um, how the women had already seen Jesus and they hadn't answered, but we're going to talk about that later as adults, so we're not going to go down that road just now. Instead, kids, I want to ask you, who do we turn to in a crisis? Who am I in a crisis? When the disciples showed Jesus that they were worried and that they were frightened, Jesus said, peace be with you. We might be the disciples who are frightened or in disbelief or unsure of what to do next or the ones who were sharing the good news and weren't believed or trusted. But when we're worried or scared, we might want to be big and strong, show that we can do it for ourselves. I know sometimes I like to pretend I can handle it all on my own. My dad's laughing because he's experienced that wonder too many times. <laughs> But we can turn to God who offers us peace. And all that it takes to accept that peace is to trust that God wants to give it to us. That God wants to give us the wisdom to find peace in the situation that we find ourselves in. So before the kids go out and before we sing another song, I want to pray for the young people and for the children. That they know to turn to God in a crisis. That when things aren't going right that they can rely on him, trust him, to help them find some peace. So let's say a wee prayer. Dear God, thank you for offering us your peace. When we need your peace, please give us the wisdom to seek it out instead of adding chaos to crisis. And when any of us are asking, what do we do now? I pray that we ask it to you in searching for your wisdom. Amen. And I think we're going to sing. Let's stand.
Our reading this morning is from Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. While the two were telling them this, suddenly the Lord himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were terrified, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. But he said to them, Why are you alarmed? Why are these doubts coming up in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet and see that it is I myself. Feel me and you will know, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. He said this and showed them his hands and feet. They still could not believe. They were so full of joy and wonder. So he asked them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of cooked fish, which he took and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the very things I told you about while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the writings of the prophets and the Psalms had to come true. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah must suffer and must rise from death three days later. And in his name, the message about repentance and the forgiveness of sins must be preached to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We spoke briefly with the children, asking them the who are you in a crisis question, because I hoped it would trigger thoughts in your mind also. The whole of the gospel on one level is really just a character test, not just, but it's a character test for the growing, evolving disciples. Doubting, uncertainty, insecurity, betrayal, are all things that Jesus witnessed in his disciples and often fell victim to. So in setting the scene, the eleven are gathered together and I'm thankful that they stuck together. They hadn't yet totally given up and gone back to their old reality. But they were together asking the question, what do we do now? They had been found by the women who had seen Jesus alive in the tomb. And the passage before says 
that they saw the words of the women only as a tale, still underestimating and doubting. Then the two men that Jesus had walked on the road to Emmaus with arrived to find the living and tell them of their journey and share the story. As if to save the disciples some further embarrassment, Jesus appears before they can deny that they believe them. I don't, I can't, and I'm not going to claim that I'm an expert in resurrection theology because most of my genuine passion, as depressing as it sounds, is in the experience of the cross. I generally avoid the resurrection stuff. But even for me, this has been such a a revealing passage about the magnitude of what life can be because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we could come to this passage with all sorts of angles. And I will allude to some of them. The humanness of the disciples. Their disbelief. Their need to test. Their need for proof. I could try and be evangelical and theological about it all and debate what this means we should be doing right now. But I'm pretty sure we've heard that plenty of times. And maybe I'll come back to both of them. But as I'm comfortable with, I'd like to start at the beginning. Jesus says, peace be with you. He must know on an earthly human level, it's going to freak them out. They saw him perform all sorts of miracles. He knows that they witnessed him bring Lazarus back to life. They were there to witness Jairus asking him to save his daughter. But bringing someone else back to life and being brutally murdered and coming back to life yourself, although on a really crazy spectrum, they're still miles apart. Jesus says, peace be with you. I'm sure for many reasons. The one being he knows his appearance is going to startle them, confuse them and frighten them. And that's what the passage tells us it does. He knows they've been in hiding, huddled together, unsure of what is next. And I think he fundamentally wants to restore their peace. I could comfortably preach a story that gives us living lessons. And this is a little different because this engages with eternal life. What life after death, hope and resurrection can really mean for us. Jesus stands before them, I assume, with his feet firmly on the ground. He isn't a floating presence. As much as I'd rather avoid the ghost chat, he has said he is not a ghost. The experience of his life is a tangible fixture on his eternal being because he shows them his scars. If we pause from the story to think a little of what Jesus still having his scars means, we could go off on a very different direction. So let me just offer you a few thoughts or suggestions. We are promised in eternal life that there will be no more tears, no more pain and no more suffering. As we watch those we love who are dying, this can often be a huge comfort to us. The very thought that there will be no more suffering. When I'm in the hospital, I spend a lot of time with people who are dying. It's not all I do in my job, but it's certainly the bread and butter of it. 
I watch families come to term with the fact the person they love is going to die. And many cope with it in different ways. Many face the reality in different ways. But what they share is the relief that the suffering will end, that the pain will no longer be there. And they see that as a good thing. As Jesus stands before them, he doesn't stand there in a completely new form, in a completely new body. He stands there in the glory of all that he survived, all that he experienced. The very scars that killed him, he still holds. So the restoration to eternal life isn't hiding the earthly life experiences. It's not a separate place where you totally change to make you unrecognisable. It said that Jesus was difficult to recognise. But I personally think that's mostly because he was the last person they thought they were going to see. They really just didn't see him coming. And it was the scars that made them realise who he was. I love that he still has his scars because it's a both and. It's not an ultimatum. And ultimatums, they rub me up the wrong way. They make me feel really uncomfortable. No one likes to be cornered. No one likes to say it's this or it's that. Jesus' very example shows us that eternal life is restorative, renewing, but there's also a remembering. God brings all of our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the glorious, and brings it into his glory, taking the pain away. But Jesus still had his scars. It kept a connection with the alive, the life and the death and the after, the past and the eternal. Coming back to the actual story, Jesus' disciples who we mentioned at the beginning, were very human, filled with doubt and disbelief regularly, which, as another aside, actually makes them so relatable. I grew up believing in Jesus. I didn't have a conversion experience. My experience was realising not everyone believed in Jesus and having to work that out and make sense of that. But we all have a conversion moment, or, or, or not a moment in the evangelical time, but just... Something that makes us realise this is real, this is true. And it's a whole experience, it's not a one moment thing. But they have all of that. They have to go from one to the other. They're confused. They must have caused Jesus so much frustration if he was anything like me. But it makes them relatable, almost reliable. Because they didn't blindly follow, they saw answers, they asked questions... They had to learn grace. They had to learn patience. They learned to have faith and to trust. Now really going back to the story. Jesus says, look at me. All that I am. All the things that show that you know who I am. Ghosts do not have flesh and bones like I have. They were filled with uncertainty. They were filled with joy, but they weren't sure if they were allowed to express it yet, if it was worth expressing it yet. 
the more you get knocked down, the harder it is to get back up. I remember, and I, this wasn't part of what I was going to say, Dad, so I'm sorry for using it as an example, but I remember the first time my dad was in hospital, and you just got on with it. You know, you just you go with it because it's, it's frightening and it's new, but you run with it. The second time, the third time, you know what's coming. It's, you're prepared for the exhaustion. You're ready that something's going to happen. Now, that's our experience, and you'll have had your own, but sometimes the more you go through something, the harder it can get. People assume that, oh, we're, we're getting used to that now, so you understand or you know what it's like. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes it can get harder and harder. When something feels too good to be true, sometimes it's easier to believe that it's too good to be true rather than hope that it really is as good as it seems. It does surprise me that they test him, but it doesn't surprise me that he obliges that in all his grace, in all his compassion, he eats the food. He might even have been starving. Who knows? I love that Jesus gently reminds them. He doesn't go in all guns blazing. We don't see an angry Jesus thinking, for crying out loud, how many times did I tell you this was what was going to happen? How many times did we talk about this? He goes in patiently, graciously, he knows it's going to take a while to sink in. You can imagine as they begin to calm down, as the reality sinks in, they're giving themselves permission to feel the joy that everything they had been taught really is going to work out. It really is going to happen. They can return to hope. And I'm sure that's when their minds started to trigger of all the times that they sat around Jesus or they walked by his side and he talked to them about what was to come. That they listened to their teacher, they, they learned from their teacher about all that was going to happen and all that had happened before. Even in their doubting at the end, they come to realise this is what Jesus was saying all along. But I can imagine that would be a pretty scary place to be now there's no more room for doubt. They've seen him. They have a responsibility. He's passed all the tests. And now they have to spend the rest of their lives sharing that story, sharing that experience with people who no doubt will question and wonder and doubt them just as much as they did Jesus. Thinking of what we can take from this passage, from this experience, where we go from here. As someone who spends more time in the deep dark pit of the cross than I do in the light and the hope of the resurrection, I'm looking at this story with new eyes. I'm looking at this story raw because it's not one I would generally focus on. I look at this passage and I see a compassionate Jesus returning to confused disciples. I see a Jesus who doesn't leave us in the lurch, who takes us to the end of the road, who comes back for us. I see a Jesus in glory. I see a Jesus in the glory of all of his scars of the life he lived here on earth. I see a Jesus who gives me hope that my scars will be made beautiful. I see a Jesus who brings me hope that my pain will disappear 
but I will still know that I had been there. I see hope that life doesn't end when we draw our last breath. I see hope that there's more to life than this. And I don't like to focus on hope too much, as I've kind of made pretty clear. I fear the outside world will think that we're out of touch with reality. I don't like to diminish the pain I've experienced or you've experienced or anyone I don't know has experienced. And I don't like to focus too much on hope because sometimes they seem like empty platitudes. Time's a healer. The amount of times I've heard someone say that to me in the hospital and I think, if only you knew. (laughs) We say these things because they make ourselves feel better, but they hold very little meaning. I I wrote this sermon at the beginning of the week and and woke up at the weekend to find out about the airstrikes and I thought, well, my goodness, how, how how do I say I don't want to believe in a hope that keeps us out of touch with reality and not bring that into this? into a very story where we're looking for peace. We want Jesus' wisdom. We want his hope. And what we're seeing is that the people who've made their choices, and I'm being very on my own page here and standing on my own, that have made really bad choices, unwise. And I think, where is the peace? Where where is the hope? Where is the... Where is God? And we're surrounded by people who ask those kinds of questions. And I don't want to give them an empty platitude in return. And I don't have to. Because this passage shows us that Jesus' life, death and resurrection gives us eternal hope, real hope, living hope. Hope that offers us, offers us peace if we seek his wisdom. He's in the pit with us. He wants us to work on our character. He's with us in confusion. He's with us when we're trying to make sense of it all. But he brings us to glory and takes the pain away by allowing us to wear the scars. I don't know where we are on a personal level on that spectrum, gosh where we are in a political and theological um, space on that spectrum when we've been knocked down so many times we know it can be hard to get back up when we see history repeating itself we think not again we might be thinking it sounds too good to be true Should I be excited here? But God is patient. God is compassionate. God is understanding. And God offers us hope. He offers us his peace. We are allowed his peace. To accept it, we just have to follow his wisdom. And I hope that not just the young people, but we, and as simple as it may all seem, are willing to look for his wisdom as we want his peace. I don't want to ruin the tone, but I'm really proud of myself for not taking as long as it took the last time. (laughs) Um, 
because the last time I spoke, I, I realised that I didn't stick to a, a normal sermon length of time. So, but I mean it, what I'm saying. We're allowed to accept his peace, whatever that means for us, wherever we are on that spectrum. But let's respond in song. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Dear God, here we are again. We come before you to offer up prayers for others and for ourselves. May our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, intercede for us. In the past few weeks, we have been thinking of your Son's last days on earth before he returned to your side in heaven. Today we heard again of his awareness of the scepticism of many of his followers who demanded to see proof that he was who he said he was. Some of us in pride feel very superior to the doubting Thomases in old Jerusalem. After all, they actually saw him in the flesh. We have not, but we believe But hold on a minute. Would we be any different if he suddenly appeared before us now, in this upper room? 
Can you picture it? An olive-skinned, bearded man. Looks a bit Eastern. Anyway, perhaps in modern clothes or Middle Eastern robes wearing sandals. And after the statement of his identity, uh, there would always be one who would say, Aye, right big man, so you say. But I need a bit more evidence. No offence. Give us a shift of your old wounds. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Not me. No, not me. I'm a believer. I don't need to see. I don't need to touch. Cry many. Oh, aye. Right. Good for you. <laughs> so we say to the man before us, Aye, right. Chill out. We get it. We believe you. But do we? Would we? We live in an age where we no longer trust the word of our leader, spiritual and temporal. Show me is the challenge. And sometimes they do. Uh, but going on our current big news stories on television, airstrikes and poisoning, etc., the evidence they give is often suspect or disputed. So let us not feel too superior to the sceptics. However we come to belief without proof, it is a gift from heaven. Feel sad for those who struggle with their unbelief and hope their doubts will be resolved, for belief is often the key to living a satisfying life in prosperity and in adversity. And then I think of a spiritual song, you know the one, with the lines, Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters. That is what we do when we believe without physical proof. True, we cannot see or touch the scarred hand, but we believe, we know it is there, ready to comfort, to guide, to lead. The hand of a man who knew acclaim, love, rejection, betrayal and agony. The man you declared your beloved son. You, our God, who in the centuries before was hard to approach and was only seen or experienced as a burning bush or a mighty wind or a sudden silence. But since our risen Lord returned to your side and is part of you again, now you too know what it is to feel fear, hunger, scorn, sickness, loneliness, the love of family and friends, and grief for their loss. So, our parent God, we ask you to use us, Use our human hands, hearts and voices to heal the world's wounds. We lay before you the suffering of many, from the sick in body and mind, the hungry, the downtrodden, the abused, the displaced, the poor in wealth or in spirit, the folk who have never heard your glorious message, the misguided who distort that message for their own purposes. 
We pray for them all, that you will bless them and put them right with themselves, with the world and with you. And we pray for the individual needs of ourselves, often unspoken, often unknown to others. We ask for your help in bearing our loads and the strength to correct what we can and endure what we cannot without losing faith and belief in you. You gave your son to us for many reasons, not least our salvation. In the darkest of nights, when our belief wavers for whatever reason, God, our Father and Mother, encourage us, I pray, to reach out and put our hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. He will not fail us, as you will not fail us. Amen. Let's pray for the offering.
Father God is an outsider to this congregation. I pray for the work that they do. The work ongoing in their building and, and who they are as a community. We think of the money offered today. And we pray that it's a blessing to you. It's used in a way that honours your name. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. Shall we stand to sing our final hymn together? place as you leave one another to face another week may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord keep you safe Mm -hmm.